Section 11 of Just 16. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. This recording by Jude Summers. Just 16 by Susan Coleridge. Atelka's Choice. Atelka lived on the very borders of the fairy country. It may be that some of you do not believe there are any such beings as fairies. In fact, it is not easy to hold one's faith in them when one lives in such a country as this of ours. Fairies are the shyest of creatures, shyer than the wood dove, shyer than the glancing dragonfly. They love silence, seclusion, places where they can sport unseen with no intruding voice or step to startle them. When man comes, they go and I put it to you whether it is likely that they can enjoy themselves in the United States, where every forest with any trees in it worth cutting down is liable at any moment to be attacked by an army of woodchoppers, where streams are looked upon as water power, lakes as water supply, and ponds as suitable places for breeding of fish, where distance is brought near by railroads, and solitudes only mean a chance for a settler where people are always poking about the hills and mountains in search of coal mines or silver mines, and prodding the valleys in hopes of oil wells, and where silence generally means an invitation to a steam whistle of one kind or another. But where Atelka lived, no one doubted the reality of fairies any more than they did that of human beings. Her home was in Bohemia, in the outskirts of the Bomerwald, a vast unpeopled tract of mountainous country thickly wooded, full of game, and seldom visited except by hunting parties in pursuit of stags or wild boars. Atelka's people were of mixed Sclavonic and Gypsy origin. They cultivated a patch of land under the stewardship of a lord who never came near his estate, but this was only their ostensible occupation, for poaching or smuggling goods across the frontier brought in a great deal more money to them than did farming. There were three sons, Mark, Jocko, and Hanserl. Atelka was the only girl. They were lithe, sinewy young fellows, with the swarthy skins and glittering black eyes which belonged to their gypsy blood, and something furtive and threatening in their looks. But she was different. Her hair and eyes were of a warm brown, her features were delicate, and their expression was wistful and sweet. All summer long she ran about with her slender feet and ankles bare. A thin little cotton gown and a bead necklace composed her wardrobe for the warmer months. In winter she wore woolen stockings and wooden shoes, a stuffed petticoat and a little shawl. She was always shabby, often ragged, and on cold days scarcely ever warm enough to be comfortable. But she somehow looked pretty in her poor garments, for beauty is the gift of heaven, and quite as often sent to huts as to palaces. No one ever told Atelka she was pretty except indeed young Sepperl of the mill, whom she had seen now and again on her semi-annual visits to the neighboring village, to dispose of her yarn, and he had said more with his eyes than with his tongue. To her family it made no difference whatever whether she was pretty or not. They preferred to have her useful, and they took care that she should be so. She spun and sewed, she cleaned the pots and pans, cooked the rye porridge and the cabbage soup, and rarely got a word of thanks for her pains. Her brothers flung her their jackets to mend, or their game to dress, without a word of ceremony. 
if she had refused or delayed to attend to their wants, she would have got a rough word, a curse, or perhaps a blow. But Atelka never refused. She was a willing little creature, kindly and cheerful, and had no lazy blood in her veins. So early and late she worked for them all, and her chief, almost her only pleasure, was when, her tasks dispatched, she could escape from the hut with its atmosphere of smoke and toil, and get away into the forest by herself. When once the green and fragrant hush of the high-arched thickets closed her in, she would give a sigh of relief, and a sense of being at home took possession of her. She did not feel it in the hut, though she called that home, and it was the only one she had ever known. Did Atelka believe in fairies? Indeed she did. She had a whole volume of stories about them at her tongue's end. Her great-grandmother had seen them often, so had her great-aunt. The mother of Dame Gretel, the wise woman of the village, who herself passed for a witch, had been on intimate terms for a long time with a hoary little kobold who had taught her all manner of marvellous things. The same fortunate woman had once seen Rubsel, the mountain demon, and had left an account of him and his looks, which were exactly those of a charcoal-burner. Atelka knew the very hollow where Dame Gretel's mother used to sit and listen to the teachings of the kobold, and could point out the ring where a number of the good people had once been seen moving a mystic dance, their wings glancing in the darkness like fireflies. She herself had never seen a fairy or a kobold, it is true. Everyone was not thus fortunate. But she might some day, who knew? And meantime she had often heard them whispering and sighing in their odd little voices close beside her. You may be sure that Atelka believed in fairies. It was one reason why she liked so well to go to the great forest, which was their well-known abiding place. One day the desire to escape from home was unusually strong upon her. Her mother was out of sorts for some reason, and had been particularly harsh. Her father, who sometimes stood her friend, had gone to the village with a bundle of hare-skins which he hoped to trade for oil and brandy. Her brothers, who had some private exhibition on foot, had kept her running since early morning. She had grown tired and a little cross at their many exactions, and when, finally, all was made ready, and they set out with their guns and snares and a knapsack full of food, and her mother, sitting with her pipe beside the fire, had fallen into a doze, Atelka gladly closed the door behind her and stole away. The soup was simmering in its pot. The bowls were ready set on the table. She would not be missed. For an hour or two she might feel that she belonged to herself. The forest felt deliciously cool and still as she walked fast up to the little glade which led to the fairy spring. This was a small pool of clear water, bubbling strongly up from a sandy bottom and curiously walled round with smooth stones, which seemed fitted and joined by the labor of man, though in reality they were a freak of nature. Atelka sat herself down on this stony rim, dipped her hands in the water, and sprinkled a little on her hot forehead. A tall spear of feathery grass grew just by. Presently it began to bend and sway, as if wind-blown, and dance lightly up and down before her face. She took no notice at first, then it occurred to her, as no wind was blowing anywhere else, that it was odd that this particular grass-blade should be in such active motion. "'How queer!' she said, looking hard at the grass-blade. "'It seems to be alive!' A shrill small laugh echoed her words, and suddenly, as if her eyes had been magically opened to see, 
she became aware that a tiny shape in green with a pointed cap on its head was sitting upon the blade of grass and moving it to and fro with hand and foot the little countenance under the cap was full of mischief and malice and the bright eyes regarded her with a strange glee Atelka knew instantly that her wish had come true and at last she was face to face with a veritable fairy oh was all she could say in her amazement well stupid do you know who i am asked the creature in a voice as shrill as its laugh yes mine hair faltered Atelka. here you have gone about all your days wishing you could see a fairy continued the small creature and there we were close by all the time and you never opened your eyes to look how do you like me now you do see me very much hair fairy replied Atelka, gaining courage i think you are beautiful the fairy seemed pleased at this compliment which was evidently sincere thou art a good maiden enough as maidens go he said accosting her more familiarly i have long had my eye on thee Atelkleen. I have sat up in the roof thatch and heard Jocko and Hanseler scold and Hector, and the mother order thee about, and I have noted that thou wast almost always kind and humble, and seldom answered them back again. Thou art neat-handed, too, and that we fairies think much of. Many a drink of good new milk have I had, which I should have missed hadst thou forgotten to scour the pail. So now in return I will do something for thee. Listen thou must know that each fairy of the bulmerwald has the privilege once every hundred years of granting one wish to a mortal all do not exercise it some crabbed ones do not like the human folks enough to be willing to do them a good turn others again are too lazy or too pleasure-loving to go out of their way for the purpose i am neither of these now hearken i will give thee the power that every time thou dancest a piece of gold shall lie under thy foot or instead of the gold a flower shall spring up out of the ground which wilt thou have yes which wilt thou have cried another sharp voice and a second fairy appeared out of the air as it were and seated himself on the very tip of the grass blade don't be in a hurry think a bit before you choose atelka why child what are you looking so scared about for atelka had grown pale and had not been able to repress a little scream at this sudden apparition she rallied her courage and tried to look brave, but her heart misgave her. Was the wood full of these unseen creatures? It is only my gossip, explained fairy number one. Thimblerig is his name. Mine is Pertzel. He usually comes after me wherever I go. You needn't be afraid of him. Now, gold piece or flower, decide. Atelka was in a whirl of confusion. It was dreadful to have to make up her mind all in a moment about such an important thing. Her thoughts flew to Sepperl of the mill. He was fond of flowers, she knew. The mill garden was always full of blue flax, poppies, and lavender, and Sepperl spent all his spare hours in working over it. Suppose, suppose, the thing over which she had sometimes shyly glowed and blushed were to happen. How pleasant it would be to dance flowers all day long for Sepperl! Then her mind reverted to the hut, to her mother and the boys, who were always craving after the luxuries of life which they could not have, and fiercely envying those who were better off than themselves. Would they not be happier and better and kinder for the gold which she had in her power to give them? They would not forgive her if she lost such a chance, that she knew. And even so far as Sepperl went, gold never came amiss to a poor man's door. 
so many things could be bought with it. One cannot eat flowers, said Atelka to herself with a sigh. Yet still she hesitated, and her heart felt heavy within her. Choose, repeated the two fairies, each echoing the other. I choose the gold piece, said Atelka. The fairy faces clouded over as she spoke, and she knew she had chosen wrong. Very well, said Pertzel. Have thy wish. He vanished as he spoke. Atelka sat alone by the bubbling spring, and she rubbed her eyes and asked herself if it were not all a dream. I will put it to the test, she thought, and jumping up, she began to dance beneath the trees, slowly and doubtfully at first, and then with swift and joyful bounds and steps, for as she danced, ever and anon upon the ground beneath her feet appeared a glittering coin. She danced so long that when at last she ceased, she sank down exhausted. The beautiful yellow pieces lay thickly around her, some larger, some smaller, as if their size depended upon the vigor of her movements. She had never dreamed of such wealth before, and she gathered them up and tied them in a corner of her shawl, half fearing they might turn to brass or pebbles. But when she neared home and looked at them again, they were still gold. Her mother was standing at the door with a black look on her face. "'Where hast thou been, thou idle baggage?' she demanded. "'I drop asleep for one moment, and when I wake the fire is well nigh out.' Atelka glanced at the setting sun. In her excitement she had not marked the flight of time. It was much later than she had supposed. "'I am sorry,' she faltered. Then to appease her mother's anger she untied the corner of her shawl and showed the fairy money. "'See what I have brought,' she said. "'They are all for thee.' The old woman fairly gasped in her surprise. "'Gold!' she cried, clutching the coins which Atelka held out. "'Real gold! More than I ever saw before! Where didst get it, girl? Who gave it thee?' "'The fairies!' exclaimed Atelka joyfully, "'and they taught me how to get more when we are again in need.' "'Do you dare make a mock of me?' screamed her mother, aiming a blow at her with the staff which she held in her hand. "'Fairies, indeed! A fine story!' "'Tell the truth, hussy. Didst thou meet some count in the forest, or the landgrave himself?' "'I met nobody,' persisted Atelka. "'No one at all except the fairy and the other fairy, and it was they who gave me the gift.' Her mother's staff descended with a whack on her shoulder. "'Get thee in,' she said harshly. "'Thou art lying.' But she held fast to the gold all the same, and when Atelka's back was turned she hid it secretly away. So the first fruit of the fairy gift was a blow." Later, when the father came back from the village, there was another scene of severity and suspicion. Neither of Atelka's parents believed her story. They treated her like a culprit who will not confess his guilt. It was worse yet when her brothers returned the following day. In vain she wept and protested. In vain she implored them to believe her. "'It's easy enough to talk,' Jocko declared at last. "'But to prove thy words is not so easy. If thou hast the power to dance gold pieces into existence—' Why, face to work and dance. Then we shall know whether or not to believe thee. Strange to say, this method of proving her veracity had not occurred to Atelka's mind. After her troubled sleep and unhappy day, she had begun to feel that the interview with the fairies was no more than a dream, and she scarcely ventured on the test, dreading that the strange gift bestowed upon her might have been withdrawn. Slowly and fearfully she began to dance while her family watched every movement with eyes of scornful incredulity. Suddenly Mark, uttering a great oath, 
stooped and picked up something from the hard-trodden earthen floor. It was a gold piece. By heavens, he exclaimed, the girl spoke true, or, with a return of suspicion, is it one of those she gave thee which thou hast dropped, turning to his mother? But as Atelka, with heart suddenly grown lighter, went on bounding and twirling, one shining coin after another shone out on the floor beneath her feet, and with howls and screams of joy her relatives precipitated themselves upon them. It seemed as if they could never have enough. If Atelka paused to rest, they urged her on. "'Dance thou!' they cried. "'Dance, Atelkleen, Liebchen, Sushkin, darling of our hearts, do not stop! Keep on till we are all rich!' One hour, two, passed and still Atelka obeyed their eager behest and danced on. The boy's pockets, her father's pouch, her mother's lap were full, and yet they demanded more. At last, quite worn out, she sank in a heap on the ground. "'I cannot take another step,' she sighed. "'Oh, well,' Jocko reluctantly admitted, "'that may do for tonight. Tomorrow we will have some more of it.' From that day all was changed for the family in the forest hut. Everyone— except Atelka, fell to work straight away to squander the fairy gold. The sons made expeditions to the distant town, and came back laden with goods of the most incongruous kinds, silks, velvets, tobacco, gold-embroidered caps, bonbons, carved pipes, gaily painted china, gilt clocks, toys of all descriptions, anything and everything which had pleased their untutored fancy. The father and mother smoked all day long, till the air of the hut was dense and stifling. Brandy and Kirschwasser flowed in streams. Atelka alone profited nothing from the fairy gift. To be sure she had her share of the dainties which the others devoured, and her brothers now and then tossed her a ribbon or a brightly colored handkerchief, but for these she did not care much, and her liberty, for which she did care, was greatly abridged. No longer was she suffered to wander at will in the forest. She had become too precious for that. Something might happen to her, they all declared. A bear or a wolf might come along and attack her, or she might slip and sprain her ankle, which, so far as they were concerned, would be just as bad. No, Atelka must run no risks. She must stay at home and be ready to dance for them whenever they needed her. The slender limbs grew very weary, and the heart which gave them life was often heavy as time went on, and more and more gold was needed to satisfy the exactions of her family. Money easily won is still more easily spent. The fairy gold melted fast in the rapacious fingers which clutched it. Soon, for appetite grows by what it feeds upon, the little hut no longer sufficed the growing ambition of Atelka's brothers. It was too poor, too lonely, too everything, they declared, they must all remove to Budweis or Linz. The city was the only fit place for people to live in who had money to spend. Atelka was not consulted. She was ordered to pack this and that, and to leave the other behind, that was all, and was made to dance a few extra hours to pay for the travelling expenses. All the homely old furniture was left in the hut, as not smart enough for the grand city home they were going to. They took only the things they had bought since their good luck began and these filled a great cart, on the top of which Atelka and her mother were perched. She cast one last look toward her beloved forest, to which she had not been allowed a farewell visit. Jocko cracked his long whip, and the oxen slowly moved forward. 
Goodbye to everything, said Atelka in her heart, but she dared not say it aloud. A quick pang shot through her as they passed the mill garden, gay with flowers, where Sepperl, hoe in hand, was standing. His eyes met hers with deep and silent reproach, and then were averted. She did not understand, but it made her very sad. No one told her that a few weeks before Sepperl had asked her in marriage of her father, and had been roughly refused. Such an offer would have been looked upon as an unheard of good fortune six months previously. Now it was regarded almost as an insult. Marry a Telka? Take their gold-earner away from them? It was out of the question. What was the fool thinking of? But Atelka heard nothing of all this. Haunted by the recollection of Sepperl's wistful glance, she went her way with the others. Little heart had she for the new home, which seemed to them so fine. It was high up in an old building, overlooking a crowded street. The room seemed very large and empty after the forest hut, and the first care of the family was to furnish them. With reckless disregard of good taste, as well as of expense, Mark and Jocko and Hanserl rushed away to the market and the shops, and presently the stairs began to fill with porters bringing up all manner of things, beds and chairs and tables, gaudy carpets for the floors, ill-painted pictures in showy frames for the walls, a piano on which none of them knew how to play, a music box of extraordinary size which could play without assistance, looking-glasses, lamps, wonderful china figures, a parrot in a gilded cage with a dreadful command of profane language. The rooms were filled, and more than filled, in no time, and for the payment of all these things Atelka must dance. And dance she did, but with a heavy heart and no spring in her feet. Accustomed to the quiet of the forest neighborhood, the sounds and smells of the city oppressed her greatly. The crowd and bustle frightened her, the roar of noise kept her awake at night, and she felt as if she could not breathe. Things grew worse rather than better. Their extravagance provoked notice and the fame of their riches and their ignorance soon brought about them a crew of tempters and needy adventurers. Men with evil eyes and sly, greedy faces began to appear at all hours, to smoke and drink with Mark and Jocko, to gamble with them and win their money. Much money did they win, and all that was lost Atelka must make good. With her will or without it, she must dance, dance always to content her rapacious kindred, they could hardly endure to spare her for the most needful rest. Time and again, when she had sunk exhausted on her bed to sleep, while dice rattled and glasses clinked in the next room, Hanserol or Jocko had rushed in to awaken her roughly and demand that she should get up at once and dance. Stumbling and half-blind with drowsiness, the poor girl would do her best, but her movements being less brisk and buoyant, the coins would be of smaller value and she would be sworn at for her pains, and threatened with dire penalties if she did not do better next time. No wonder that under this treatment she grew pale and thin. The pretty cheeks lost their roundness. The pink faded from them. Her eyes were dull and lustrousless. A great homesickness took possession of her. Night and day she pined for the forest hut. So wan and unhappy was she, that even the hard hearts of those who profited by her should have been touched by it but no one noticed her looks or cared that she was unhappy, so long as she would keep on dancing and coin gold for them. At last came a day when she could not rise from her bed. Mark came and threatened her. He even pulled her onto her feet, but it was in vain, 
she fell down with weakness and could not stand. Alarmed at last, Jocko hastened after a doctor. He came, fell to Telka's pulse, shook his head. "'What has she been doing?' he asked. "'Nothing,' they told him, "'nothing at all.' Then he shook his head still more portentously. "'Ah, well, in that case it is all of no use,' he said. "'She is all given out. She must die.' And now, indeed, those who had let Atelka tire herself to death for them were thoroughly frightened. With her would perish all their hopes, for the gold she had earned for them had been spent as fast as made. Nothing had been laid up. They took wonderfully good care of her now. There was nothing she fancied that they would not willingly have brought her. But all the poor child asked for was to be left alone and suffered to lie still, not to be forced to keep on with that weary dancing. Gradually the spent flame of life flickered feebly upward within her, and as she gained a little in strength, a longing after the forest took possession of her. The wish seemed utterly foolish to her family, but they would not refuse it, for their one desire was to have her get well and be able to earn gold for them again. So the big wagon and the oxen were hired, Atelka on her bed was laid carefully in it, Mark took the goad, and slowly, slowly, the sick girl was carried back to her old home. All was unchanged there. Dust lay thickly on the rude furniture which had been left behind, on the pots and pans which hung upon the wall, but no one had meddled with them or lifted the latch of the door since the family went away. The cool hush and stillness of the place was like a balm to Atelka's overstrained nerves. She slept that night as she had not slept for weeks, and on the morrow was visibly stronger. Mark did not stay with her long. The quiet of the hut disgusted him, and after enduring it for a day or two, he went back to the others in the city, leaving Atelka alone with her father and mother. He gave strict orders that he was to be sent for the moment that Atelka was able to use her feet again. Then, indeed, she must fall to work and dance to make up for all this wasted time. Poor Atelka rejoiced to see him go. She had learned to fear her brothers, and almost to dislike them. The day after he went, she begged her father to carry her in his arms to the edge of the forest and lay her under a tree. She wanted to feel the wind in her face again, she said. He consented at last, though grumbling a little at the trouble. Atelka was comfortably placed on a bearskin under the shade of a spreading fir, and after a while, as her eyes were closed and she seemed to be asleep, her father stole away and left her. She was in full sight of the hut, so there seemed no danger in leaving her alone. But Atelka was not asleep. She was thinking with all her might, thinking of the fairy, wishing she could see him again and ask him to undo the fatal gift which had brought such misery into her life. Suddenly, as she lay thinking these thoughts, her cheek was tickled sharply. She opened her eyes. There stood the same odd little figure in green which she had seen before, as then a grass-blade was in his hand and leaning over his shoulder was his gossip, Thimblerig. Atelka almost screamed in her joy. "'Thou seems pleased to see us,' remarked Pertzel, with a mocking smile. "'Oh, I am glad, indeed I am,' cried poor Atelka. "'Dear kind Herr Fairy, have pity. Don't let me dance gold any more.' "'What, tired already? What queer creatures mortals be?' began Pretzel teasingly. But the kinder Thimblerig interposed. 
Tired of her gift, of course she is. You knew she would be when you gave it. Gossip! Don't plague the poor child. Look how thin she has grown. But, Atelka, I must tell thee that when once a fairy has granted to a mortal his wish, he has no power to take it back again. What? cried Atelka in despair. Must I go on dancing for ever till I die? He cannot take it back, repeated Thimblerig. But do not cry so. There is another way. A second fairy can grant a wish which will contradict the first, and so all may be made right. Now, Atelka, I have a kindness for thee as well as Purzel here, and like him I have the right to grant a favor to a mortal. Now listen. Dance thee never so well, or dance thee never so long, from henceforward never shall gold piece lie under the foot of thine for all thy dancing. And furthermore, if thou art married to a man whom thou lovest, I endow thee with this gift, that when thou dancest with will, and because thy heart is light, violets and daisies and all sweet blossoms shall spring at thy tread, till all about thee is as a garden. Now I will add this piece of advice, said Purzel, grinning maliciously. If ever this does happen, hold thy tongue about thy gift to thy husband. The best of men can hardly resist the temptation of making money out of their womenkind. Safety lies in silence. Oh, how can I thank you, sighed Atelka. Thank us by being happy, said Thimblerig. Then the fairies faded from sight, and Atelka was alone. I have not time to tell of the wrath of Atelka's father and mother and brothers, when, as she grew strong enough to dance again for their bidding, it was found that no gold pieces followed her light steps, and that the fairy gift had been withdrawn. Their ill-humor and discontent made the life of the hut worse than it had ever been before. Atelka sank into her former insignificance. Very willingly and faithfully she worked for them all, but she could not win them to content. One after another the boys departed from home. Mark enlisted as a soldier. Jocko joined a party of smugglers and disappeared over the Italian frontier. Hanserl took service with the charcoal burners high up on the mountains. When Sepperl of the Mill asked again for Atelka's hand in marriage the following year, there was no question as to what answer should be given him. Her father was only too glad to say yes. Atelka was made happy at last. She had been a wife several months before she made trial of her second fairy gift. It was one evening when she and Sepperl were in the garden, and he was telling her his plans with regard to a bit of wasteland which he had lately fenced in. It will take many roots and seeds to make it like the rest, he remarked, but little by little we can do it without feeling the cost, and in the end it will be the best of all. Then, with a sudden flash in her eyes, Atelka left her husband and began to dance. To and fro over the bare earth she sped with quick, graceful steps, now advancing, now retreating, now describing circles, with her arm poised over her head like wings and her laughing eyes fixed on Sepperl. He was puzzled by this freak on the part of his pretty wife, but stood watching her with great admiration. Her cheeks were so flushed and her movements so light and dainty. She stopped at last, came to him, and laid her hand on his arm. Then, with a sudden flash in her eyes, Atelka left her husband and began to dance. Now look, she said. And lo, where there had been bare brown earth a half hour before, now was a green sward enameled all over with buttercups, violets, pink and white Michaelmas daisies, and pansies of every shade of gold and purple. Sepperl stood transfixed. 
"'Hast thou commerce with elves?' he asked. But Atelka did not reply. The words of Purzel returned to her memory. Silence is safety, and they were like a wise hand laid on her lips. She only laughed like a silver bell, shook her head, and left on Sepperl's cheek a happy kiss. End of Atelka's Choice <laughs>